Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. And, uh, Doug is back from Atlanta, where he called a play on Saturday night that turned baseball upside down. It was just a crazy play at the plate, where we almost had two runners score, but n- not in the order you'd expect. <laughs> so, I promise we'll talk a lot more about that in our Strange But True segment. But, Doug, I just want to check before we move on. Have you recovered from that experience yet? I was concerned after all the text that you fired at me, that this was going to leave some scars. Well, there's nothing more disconcerting to calling a baseball game and then having to text someone and saying, I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> and that's pretty much what it is. Uh, so I had to unpack it a little bit. I had to unravel it. But um, we, I did recover, even though uh, sleep deprivation is just part of the process here as I caught a, uh, a very early flight from Atlanta back home. So I'm talking in circles, but that's okay because that game put us in circles because I wasn't sure who scored, who scored second or first. <laughs> Is it 10 RBIs? Is it an error? I mean, it was everything in one play happened, and that's why we're excited to talk about it. Well, as I said, we'll talk more about that one later, but first, it's time to welcome in the manager, who I believe leads all active managers in visit to Starkville. It's Terry Francona of those Cleveland Guardians. Great to have you back, my friend. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are both of you guys doing okay? Doing awesome. You're doing great. Yeah. I'll see you soon at some point. Good. <laughs> I hope. All right. First question. Of all your incredible achievements in life and baseball, where does that one rank? Most career appearances on Starkville. Oh, it's at the top. Yes. You, you need to know that. It's it's, it's right at the top. There's uh, there's maybe several tied for first, but you're right there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's not. But thanks for humoring us. I appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, I, I want everybody to know that Terry Francona is about to be the subject of his very own documentary on MLB Network. It's mm-hmm. called Tito, 
the Terry Francona story. It premieres, uh, it's a Sunday night. It's two Sundays, so April 23rd. Uh, and look, you know, my role in life is to put everything that happens to baseball in perspective, right? So I thought you should know. These are just some of the other people that MLB Network has profiled in their documentaries. Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, Johnny Bench, Ken Griffey, Randy Johnson. You think it's fair to say you fit right in with Williams and DiMaggio? It's funny, yeah, that, that my name just rolls right off the tongue right after their names. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool, though. I, you know, I've, I've watched some clips of this documentary I think it's safe to say there's a heavy dose of self-deprecating humor in this thing. Like Theo says, you're not a functioning member of society outside of baseball. Your friend Kevin Cash tells stories about all your issues with kitchen appliances, and he says you can't manage anything except a baseball team. So are they right? You know what, Jace? I'm not sure I can really disagree with them. And, and, you know it's funny because when when Bart Bart Swain he reached out to me I think in I think it was like December about hey they they want to do this and, and kind of the running joke around here is when anybody calls me during the winter I'm like yeah whatever do it like in spring training you know want to have a meeting do it do it and then when the time comes it's like hey wait a minute did I really sign off on that because when the when the crew came the the film crew I got so edgy because i'm used to talking about everybody else which i love and then they started talking about me and i got real uncomfortable in a hurry so and i kind of apologized to him but i told him i said i'm just not comfortable with this this isn't who i want to be you know it has to be about our players it it can't be about me it kind of goes against everything i believe in well i'm sure you pulled it off deftly <laughs> i don't know we'll see <laughs> have you hey have you seen it no. are, you, are you ready for this barrage of i have not seen it i don't you know to be honest with you i don't know that i will run to see it um, <laughs> i get a little uncomfortable with that uh i do think it'll probably be funny because i know like you said theo and cashy and those guys this is their chance to come back at me and i can find out just how many people i either aggravated or or offended along the way <laughs> and also love you uh, so Let's hold. It's all, it, sure. it all comes from a good place. Let's go with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and Tito. I mean, well, speaking of cash, I mean, I know you always had a ribbing, and we had a lot of fun in the postseason last year. Have you spoke with them about this ridiculous, you know, ten and 0, 9 and zero start? Dougie, you know what's amazing is their best pitcher's not even available yet. <laughs> I mean, man, they are pitching and they're hitting the ball the ballpark. Um. And you know what? Since we're not playing him, good for him. Because, you know, everybody knows I love the guy. I don't try to give him too much credit to his face because I, we're that close. But I, I anybody that's been around me for 10 seconds know how good I think he is. And, and they got a really good thing going there. And it's kind of, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to win 150 games. But it's a nice way to start the season, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Hey, everything he learned from man learned about managing, he learned from you. Isn't that true? Um, I I think he would probably say he learned maybe what not to do, and then <laughs> took his own instincts and went from there. <laughs> All right. Well, now, now that we've established how uncomfortable you are talking about yourself, I've, I've got a question for you. Uh, I want you to think back to 1997. 
That's your first big league managing job, right? You've managed a team in Philadelphia covered by dopes like me, and you started out 30 and 72. And <laughs> your roster was so rough. Even Doug Glanville hadn't joined that band yet. <laughs> so, all right, so you're 30 something years old, right? At, 37. If I to- 37. Okay, if I told you then that one day you would be the all-time winningest manager for a franchise that has been around since 1901, what would you have said? I I would have laughed and I wouldn't have believed you because to be completely truthful, I'm not sure when I left Philly that I even knew I wanted to manage again. I, I mean, I knew I wanted to stay in baseball, but I just wasn't sure. And, and fortunately, and it's unlike a lot of people, I got a second chance and I got a second chance in a place that was built to win. And we did win. I mean, shoot, man, my, my story is no different than a lot of other people's, but they don't get that second chance. And for, like I said, I'm very fortunate. That's the one thing. And I've been pretty clear about this. I'll brag about this all day long. I think I've been around more good people than anybody ever in the game. And I think that's a big reason why I'm standing here today is because the people that I've been associated with. Well, you could make a case that good people gravitate to you. Well, it might be the other way around, but I mean, I, I just know that, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm the, the perfect example of a baseball lifer. And I, you know, I think you got to kind of know yourself. I'm not overly intelligent. Um, I, Doug Glanville can attest to that trying to, <laughs> I even told Dougie one day when he's first year there, I said, Doug, you don't have to talk down, you, you know, just be who you are. And because I think, I think Dougie felt like in Chicago, maybe they thought he was too smart for, for the game. And I remember telling him, Hey, don't apologize for that, man. That's not your fault. Is that true, Doug? Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we, I had a tough time in the minor leagues, particularly in, in Chicago and, uh, you know, I always said, like, well, you know, they'd ask, it would be the combination of asking too many questions, but also thinking you have all the answers. <laughs> it, was, it was like a quandary, right? So I think uh, coming to the big leagues, especially Philadelphia, was that moment where all of a sudden I saw that this was appreciated. You know, I obviously went to college in Philly and it became an asset when it was like a kind of a negative coming up. And that was what was the most liberating of all, just having a manager that gave you the room to kind of be yourself. And, you know, and, and Tito would always say like, look, I, I'm not going to ask for a lot of things, but you need to play hard, you know, run the ball out. You know, he's like, you're going to make physical mistakes. You're going to make mental mistakes, but I want you to really focus on like your effort. You can control that. And, and so, you know, I think that those years for me was like liberating, you know, I just got comfortable. And, and that, that was my story in Puerto Rico, just going, playing for Tom Gamboa and realizing it, it matters, those relationships. And, uh, you know, so, so Tito, I'm curious about those Philly years. I guess, what would you say the biggest takeaway as a manager in those years, like what you gained the most to take you where you are today? You know, I, I can't sit here and say that they were always fun because it was, it was hard. You know, that's a tough place to not be good, as you know. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, and like you, what you just spoke to, like if the players played hard and they gave an effort, I felt it was my responsibility to kind of protect them a little bit. And it was guys like you and Bronia. Roll and Lieberthal. You know, we had some position players, some young position players that had a chance to be pretty good. Our pitching just didn't match up. So we were constantly getting beat around. And I felt like it was my job to kind of protect you guys. And so when I left there, 
and you get another job, but you still feel the same way about the players, but maybe the pitching staff's a little better, <laughs> then it has a chance to start getting kind of special. So I actually don't think I changed much of my philosophy, if anything, it's just because I think I learned some really valuable lessons there. It's just They're just hard to go through. Let me ask you about your team now, because you, you guys just fascinate me the way you go about it. Um, you're second in the league in steals. You're tied for last in the league in homers, of course. Uh, your lineup has walked the most times of anybody. One of the hardest to strike out. Uh, like this is not a combination of stats that you see much in modern baseball. <laughs> I, I always thought it's, it was power or the, the other team's fear of power that generates walks. Your team hits singles. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 the way you manufacture runs is so unique. How would you explain your offensive formula, uh, how it works, and why it works in these crazy times we live in? You know, Jason, I mean, it's probably not just one answer, but our guys, you know, last year in spring training, we talked the, from the very first day, we're like, hey, the elephant in the room here is we're really young. Is, is Are we going to let that be an excuse to not compete? Or when we don't win, are we going to use that as an excuse? And pretty much to a man, they were like, no, no, we're, we're, they felt like they could compete. You know, I'd look down the dugout some nights, we'd be down a couple runs in the seventh. And I would feel like, well, they think they're going to win. And I'll be damned. There was a lot of nights when we did win those games. But I told them, I said, there's a way we can compete. We can't throw the bats and balls out there. We're going to have to make teams play at our speed. And we're fortunate that our guys really bought in. And once they bought in, it's become kind of something they're really proud of. And it's not easy to do every day. You know, there's a lot of frustration in our game. But they, they find ways to get through that, and we make sure we let them know we appreciate it. But it's 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 a way we think we can make up some differences with teams. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, it you think it's possible that, that uh, the new rules, uh, especially the shift limits, are playing right into your team's hands? Uh, you know, it's kind of it's more holes to poke those singles through. It's more opportunities to run, right? You know, Jace, I hope. I, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, we're young. So the, the adjustment period should be less for us because a lot of our guys have come up with some of these rules in place. And you know how it is. When you're a 10-year veteran, you get kind of settled into your ways, and it can be a little more challenging to make adjustments. But our guys, I mean, for you know, how many times have you heard when well, you have a real young team at the end of the year, somebody will say, you know, we were just too young. And I never felt that way. We we really weren't. They They competed. We didn't babysit. Um, when they did something, they allowed us to coach, and we we tried not to beat on them. You know, it, you can't be this aggressive without running into an out. Sometimes we we realize that, but we try to try to get them to be aggressive and intelligent. And if they can pull off both of those, we're going to be in really good shape. Can you tell us the significance of Jose Ramirez in that equation? Because I remember in the postseason, you said like it all comes together when you have this kind of player buy in. And so what has he meant to you in this, in this time? Dougie, I'll take it a step further. He, he and Ahmed, um, I called them into my office and I said, this isn't going anywhere if you guys don't. And I knew the way Hosey played. Hosey said, he just looked at me because I got it. And that's all he had to say. <laughs> and Ahmed, the same thing because Ahmed's motor never stops. Like yesterday 
we don't win that game if anybody else is on third base. But Hosey scored on that 19 hopper to second. He and Mookie Betts are probably the only two players in baseball that score on that ball. And it's not just pure speed. It's instincts. It's getting a jump. It's getting a read. And, and those are the things he does every day that most superstars don't do. I mean, when he's on third, it's a challenge for me to get him to not go on contact because he wants to create action so bad and be involved in that. And I worry about him getting hurt. Uh, he, he's the best player in our sport that we don't talk nearly enough about. I wish I people talk more because I agree with you. There's nothing he doesn't do. And he's such a leader for a guy that doesn't speak a whole lot of English. He leads by example and guys look up to him and you watch him during the game. He's not messing around. He's watching the pitcher. Um, and he takes it real personal when he doesn't come through. And that's not very often. <laughs> yeah. You know, since you brought up that game from Sunday, uh, you know that your team messed up one of the great stats of the year, right? In that game, <laughs> there hadn't been a single American League game all season that went three and a half hours until the Guardians and Mariners played 348 on Sunday. <laughs> so, nice going, man. You couldn't have wrapped that up in like 11 innings we, instead we of 12? Had, we had chances, and so did they. But <laughs> it was cold. The sun was shining. The shadows were out. And and it got difficult. And both teams were running out of pitching. And it was a day of maybe frustrations on both sides. But we were fortunate. Our guys keep playing, and there's something to be said for that. Even when it's not going perfect, if they keep playing, so a lot of times we 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 have a we have a way of maybe winning more of those games than we should. What's your read on the rule so far? I mean, I think probably particularly the clock and whether. I, I mean, I, we said this last week to Theo when he when he was on. I I feel like. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, people are going to look back and think this was the year that changed baseball. Is that an exaggeration? I, I don't think you're wrong. You know, I was really worried. Anytime you get to be my age, change is not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, I've been, this is my 44th year in this game, and I've done it one way, you know, one set of rules, basically. All of a sudden now you're looking at a game that's a little different. And it rattled me for about the first 10 days or two weeks. And they said it would. Um, fortunately, it was in spring training. And things are starting to become more of a habit and more instinctual. And I do think it's going to be good for the game. Um, I don't always agree with everything we do. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think that matters. Well, our job is to adjust to what they ask us to do. And if it's for the betterment of the game, and for the fans, we need to probably quit the, the 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 complaining and do it to the best of our ability. Um, you know, we, we, we also asked Theo about the idea of whether, I guess, the shift limits in particular are going to create more offense in the game. I mean, last year, you, you looked up, there was never anybody on first base. You know, that's changing now, it seems like. Maybe it's too soon to tell. I'm curious where you think this is going. You know, what 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 I've seen early, and we've only played 10 games, the the ball that where the second baseman used to be real deep in short right field, you know, that, that line drive off the bat that you knew was a hit, and then you look up and it's either a line out or a one hopper to the second baseman. That's a hit now. 
and there are more balls going through the hole between first and second than than before. And I've seen it probably four or five times already where I'm like, man, we'd have had Jimenez would have been there and he's just coming up a, a, a step short. Um, my worry was that the unintended consequences are that guys will sell out now to to pull the ball because you can't play over there that far and you might see just as many strikeouts. That's, I hope that doesn't happen. Well, you know, and, and within that vein, I talked to Bob Melvin this weekend and I asked him about, you know, early stages you're figuring it out, but do you see the potential where you'll actually change your personnel? Maybe that 26 guy, like, do you see it having that kind of impact? You get a base dealer, you get a guy, singles hitter. What's the potential? Doug, you're always trying to figure out your roster to the best of, you know, to the best suits you. Like right now, we have three catchers. I can't imagine we're going to stay with three catchers for the whole year. It just won't work. But to start the year, we really wanted Arias and we wanted Brennan to get the bulk of the at-bats off coming off our bench. And this way we could carry that third catcher where we could pinch hit maybe earlier than you would typically want. We wouldn't put Zanino in harm's way by bringing him into every game. And it's actually really helped us. So again, I don't know how long we can go with that, but you're always trying to tailor your roster to what makes it fit the best. I, I think you need more Doug Glanville type players. I think that would be I, I would never <laughs> disagree with that, ever. <laughs> you know, anytime we have you on, I, I, I like to give you an opportunity to tell just some stories. And I don't even know where to start, but this spring, I think you might have had the most innovative injury of spring training, your, your pasta injury. Was, was that your first oh, career pasta injury? No, <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was actually, you know, I had a little microwave in my – the, the place where I lived in spring training and I get tired at night and lazy. And I had some pasta sitting there and I, I don't know why I had it in the refrigerator to begin with, but that was a mistake, <laughs> but I popped it in the microwave and, you know, popped it out and sitting there in front of the TV and got down to the bottom and didn't realize it wasn't cooked all the way through. And, you know, you hear that, you hear that crunch and I'm like, man, that didn't sound good. And it, and I kept chewing and I'm like, man, that didn't taste good either. And I looked in the mirror and about half my tooth was gone. Oh, there's nothing goodness. worse than walking around. And we had a team meeting the next morning. That was our team meeting. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be standing up in front of 63 major league players looking like Jethro Bodine from the Hillbillies. <laughs> So, so you wait. You lost your tooth while eating pasta. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, I did. It, Jace. It's hard. I mean, some of the things that Theo and Cashy said probably aren't all that true. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, when the when the coaches we get if we want a car if we want to go early or stay late in some places, I don't even ask for the keys anymore. Nobody will let me drive, so I just get in their passenger seat because guys are getting tired of getting lost. <laughs> well, isn't it true you lost your keys? Yeah, I lost my the fob, you know, the Yeah. Yeah, I, I was on hands and knees at about four thirty in the morning because to get home I had to have them or my car wouldn't have started. Right. And to this day I don't know what I did. And I had an extra set that I left in Tucson. That was smart. So I had to pay one of our clubbies to drive down to Tucson, get my extra set and bring it up. So it was an expensive loss of keys. 
Oh, oh my, my God. goodness. You're crawling think, around. Jace, you think being a major league manager is easy. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, this, is because, this is like the bonus footage in that documentary, right? This is everyday life, man. This is just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Tito, you know, such an incredible career so far. I mean, when you think about last season and you're going into the new season, I guess what was the first thing you said to your team looking ahead? And, and then what are your kind of ultimate goals of not just this year, but for the rest of your, t- your you career? You know what, Dougie? Um, after we lost to the Yankees last year, you know, as, this, as, as happy as you are that I love the journey we had because it was fun, you know, and, and I, I admit it, it was fun. I don't think you wait till the – you get the last out to think, okay, I enjoyed that. But about five minutes after we lost, you get through that disappointment. And I reminded them real quick. I'm like, hey, because I knew just about everybody's going to be back. I said, hey, it can be a feel-good story. And we were kind of, you know, the little engine that could. Or we can use this as a jumping-off point and use it to motivate us and realize we have to get better. And I think they understood that. They came to camp. It's been the same group of guys with the same mentality. I just think with a year of experience, what happens is the game slows down for players. And it doesn't mean we slow down. It just means hopefully we can make better decisions while playing at a really quick pace. Can I ask you about something really important? Uh-oh. Your scooter. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I don't think I've ever seen another scooter that turned into like a city-wide scooter cult hero so i'm curious why how you think that happened how, how the whole scooter thing start and why did people get so worked up about i don't know but i remember last winter <laughs> when i was here and somebody had taken it and i remember i was driving to i was actually driving to buy some underwear and i had the news on and they had the news it was the scooter and then it was the war on ukraine that's not good man that's that's really not good um i just think people laugh because it's i mean it's parked there every night it's been parked there for 10 years um people know people sit on it they take pictures i just think that in a place like cleveland is probably the only place you can do that where people don't bother you they they say hello and everything but they respect it because this is midwest and for the very most part, they just leave it alone. And they like, ah, it's Tito's. You're going to get on in the morning, you know, and it, it works. Um, when I leave the ballpark, I go down a one-way alley, the wrong way. And every policeman <laughs> either says, hey, nice game or get them tomorrow. It's just, I, I love that part of Cleveland. Wait, what, wasn't it after, it's a, it was after this, one of the games in the series that Doug called last uh, October, right? You're riding your scooter through Cleveland after winning, and the, the whole town went wild over your scooter. Is that well, I remember this when right? I came up out of the tunnel? There was this lady on the other side of the street, and she's screaming my name, and she's like, "Tito, look, look!" And she starts to pull her shirt up, and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no!" Because <laughs> in you know in today's world with cell phones and everything, and she had an undershirt on that had my picture on it it was, it was real harmless but by then i was like scarred and i was already going as fast as i could because i'm like this is not going to end well <laughs> tremendous so so what what's what's next i guess for i know is it day-to-day or do you really 
say like, hey, this is what I really want to accomplish in this game? You know, Dougie, that's a really good question. And it's something that up until probably the last couple of years, I hadn't thought much about. But because I'm starting to get older and then my health wasn't very good the last couple of years, I admitted that I started to think, okay, what could be next? Or, you know, am I being fair to the organization? Am I leaning too much on the coaches? Am I being fair to the players? And and fortunately, this year, my health, I, I do feel way better. And it's still hard because as you get older, man, this, it's just hard. So I know I won't do this forever. I don't have a – I don't have – the ambition to just do it for numbers. I, I, I love doing what I do. I hope for the right reasons. And when those reasons aren't the right ones, I'll do something else. I can't imagine not being associated with a game because it's all I've ever done, but I don't need to do this until I, till I, you know, till they bury me that, that that's not one of my goals. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned Scott Rowland earlier. Um, you managed Scott Rowland when he was 21 years old, and he just got elected to the Hall of Fame. And it's funny, man. When he got elected, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure this is the first player ever elected to the Hall of Fame who I met before he ever played a game in the big leagues. And then I started thinking about you because you managed him, right? You met him as a manager before he ever played a game in the big leagues. And now he's going into the Hall of Fame. Did... Did you think about the journey and what your part in his journey at all? My part was patting him on the back and saying, way to go. I mean, Dougie could attest to this. You can't find a better teammate. You can't find a better guy. You know, I remember meeting Scotty when they announced that I was going to be the manager, you know, it was during the winter. And for some reason he was there and we went to a hockey game that night to see the Flyers playing. We're sitting up in a suite and they introduced me. And when they introduced me, the whole place booed. Because I think they wanted Larry Boa. And I looked over and Roland moved it, moved like four seats away from me. <laughs> but just watching him run out to third base, it gave you a feeling like, okay, we have a chance. Because he'd run out there like a linebacker. No, totally. And, and it just like created some confidence, I'm sure with everybody, not just me. You know, there uh, there was something about the way Scott Rowland played third base that was different from how almost anybody else I've ever watched. How would you describe the way he approached playing third base as a defender? He attacked ground balls, but with really good hands and really good, like, it wasn't like clumsy, but he just ate up ground. Like, I remember hearing stories how he was a really good basketball player and thinking, how would you like to try to rebound with, you know, him blocking somebody out in those shoulders? He just ate up ground. I mean, he was, and his instincts were so good. Like, you know, you try to tell people, Hey, you got to have a mentality. You want the ball hit to you. He lived that out every play of his career. Yeah. I mean, Scotty was just, uh, well, any, any of your favorite Scott Rowland stories? I mean, I mean, I just, I mean, there's so many, but uh, he's any favorites? He's, he, I mean, every time, you know, when he went to Toronto, when he went to St. Louis, I'd always meet him back behind the, the clubhouse somewhere and visit with him. And, you know, I just have such fond memories of watching his mom and dad and seeing his dad sitting in the stands because they were happy as can be watching him play. And his dad would have like a double cheeseburger 
and he'd be going to town, and they were just so happy, happy watching Scotty play. I remember in Cincinnati, it was my first year, we were getting beat up like we could sometimes, and I double switched and took Scotty out of the game because, you know, he played every inning, and we were down about 12. And somebody from his hometown came down to the dugout, started yelling at me. They said, we drove two hours to watch him play. And, and and Scotty was mortified. And I remember laughing, thinking, oh, boy, this is about par for the course. <laughs> I, I know you got to run, but we, we almost overlooked the biggest Terry Francona story of the whole year. And that was, I think it was this spring, right? There was some site that used some kind of, was it was AI programming to determine baseball's handsomest managers. I couldn't, I couldn't get through this without that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. That's <laughs> well, you, Doug, I don't know how you could have missed this because you are speaking right now to the American League's most handsome manager. You know, okay. Wow. So that morning, I woke up that morning in Tucson, and just you know, normal morning, and I always check my phone when I wake up, and I had like six or seven text messages, and the first one said, "I just threw up in my mouth." <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like trying to figure out, okay, wait a minute. Did I text this person last night? Like, and they just kept getting worse from there. And I'm like, what the hell did I miss? And then, then I saw that's probably the single worst thing that's ever happened in my baseball career. That's given ammo wait. to everybody that I didn't need to have ammo. <laughs> um, you know, I, I understand that half the population of Cleveland has these most Terry Francona, most handsome manager t-shirts. Well, I can you, tell you that everybody you, in our organization does. They, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they, we had a team meeting one morning and Chris called me out of the meeting and I thought, we're like a trade or something. And he talked to me for a minute and he was straight faced. And I walked back in the room and 80 people had that shirt on. <laughs> I mean, you oh know what? Goodness. I mean, I it's, a picture it, of that. it's funny. And it's actually a really nice T-shirt, but I can't wear it because my face is on it. So there's no way I can wear it. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have one somewhere stuffed in a drawer? I got one stuffed in a drawer, but I can't wear it. There's, you can't wear a shirt with your own face on it. <laughs> <laughs> I do think well, that's one of the rules. <laughs> well, Jose Ramirez, remember he wears the gold chain he, he, with he, a picture he, of himself he, he, he wearing he the gold chain? I, I, I love that. I'm probably that's the like where I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we can't let you go without a quick uh, episode of America's Favorite Game. Know your Terry Francona trivia. Are you ready? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Uh, these are three quick questions. Better career win percentage, you or Kevin Cash? Mm. Oh, man. I'm going to say Cash, he had a couple tough years down there to start, so I'm going to go with me. You are correct. Okay. But if you give another week. It no, I know. Could, I know. He's rapidly going to pass me by. Yeah, you're at 542. He's at 539. Yeah, he'll be. Right, here's he'll a good one. Quick. Uh, yeah, okay. More career managerial ejections, you or Tommy Lasorda? Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. I'm going to say Lasorda. <laughs> that's, that's correct, but... Uh, you're going to have to be in your best behavior because he's at 48. You're at 47. All right, I'm getting close. 47 ejections? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, can, can you believe that? That was nothing shocked me more than researching that and finding that. What's Bobby Cox, like 150? Oh, you're not going to catch him. <laughs> You'd have to manage for 100 years to catch him. So there's always that. All right, 
Higher career postseason win percentage, you or Miller Huggins? He managed Babe Ruth. Yeah, I I would say Miller Huggins because I think mine's gone down the last few years because we've we've gotten beat up in the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Miller Huggins. No, that's wrong. You're you're way ahead of him. (laughs) Seriously, you're you're five sixty four. Miller Huggins, a mere five forty five. So okay. you never even got to manage Babe Ruth. Yeah, and I, I, I to be to be to be fair, I didn't really know Miller Huggins, so <laughs> that was a tough one. <laughs> well, luckily for all concerned, Miller Huggins not interviewed for the Terry yeah. Francona documentary, but it'll be airing anyway, starting April twenty third on MLB Network. Terry, always awesome to spend time with you. Uh, look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. Uh, we need to reminisce about uh, our our great time together watching high school volleyball. <laughs> the Council Rock Pensbury. Yeah, do you want to start over? Or you want to pick game. it up from the um, sound bite? That was a fun what, place to meet up, no, and no, you can pick, it sure was fun visiting with you guys, so both easy, of you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you too, man. Thanks so much for fitting us into your schedule. See you guys. Yeah, thanks, Tito. Okay, see you, Dougie. Okay, it's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you our favorite listeners in this show. Uh, Doug, uh, I don't know what's gotten into us, uh, but as you tweeted the other day, we have turned into the Tampa Bay Rays of trivia, undefeated since the start of spring training. So what has gotten into us anyway? Well, I think it's the new rules. Um, The disengagements, the pitch clock. We we were built for this era of baseball. And we've accordingly applied our trivia. Now we don't have a clearly don't have a trivia clock uh, we because one. we were gra- we, yeah we were grandfathered in to ignore all clocks when we do trivia, and uh, we thank our mayor for editing us down. But the real thing is usually about thirty five minutes. But that's okay. <laughs> so I think we're just built for the era. All I know is it's been a wonderful streak. It's been cool while it lasted. <laughs> I think the odds of our continuing that streak this week are worse than the odds of the Rays going 162-0. You know, I think I made a mistake over the weekend, Doug. Um, That's good. We we always ask for questions on Twitter. And so it could have been a mistake to mention our undefeated streak (laughs) and then pretty much daring our listeners to hit us with a question that would stop the streak. It it definitely ratcheted up the degree of difficulty. So I I think we I, I, I say we have T-shirts made. Uh, for someone who stops our streak. I think that that's the next step. Uh, we'll have to talk to the mayor and governor uh, to stop. Yeah, so I think someone's having a streak. I stopped the Starkville streak. I think that's that should be worth a lot <laughs> if, to the Hall of Fame. If not, All right, well, we got a problem with that, too, because, you know, normally we let our special trivia guest star join us and ask the question live on the show so that that way they can enjoy the spectacle of us getting it horribly wrong. But this week's uh, tr- special trivia guest star, Ben Beatty, couldn't work us into his schedule, Doug. So mm. he, he left us his question via voicemail. I don't know about you. I think I'm ready. Let's see what he's got. Hey, Jason and Doug. Thanks so much for taking my question. This is Ben in Brooklyn uh, on, a, on a plane right now, actually, on my, on the, on my first trip to uh, Wrigley Field. But uh, my question is, in 2018, when the Yankees acquired Giancarlo Stanton, they became the fourth team ever to have the AL and NL home run leaders from the previous year 
on their roster. Can you name the other three pairs? This is always one that I ask. It's never, no one has ever been able to answer it correctly. So I'm wondering if you can. I know you haven't gotten one wrong since spring training, but good luck. Thanks again for taking the question. <laughs> okay. Okay. First, my first question Ooh. back is why would anybody rather visit Wrigley than Starkville? That's yeah, that's that's definitely a mistake. Uh, we can build Wrigley at Starkville, and then we solve all problems. <laughs> so I think that that I'm okay with that. Or vice versa, we could do vice versa. You've actually we'll done do Starkville special for special tax assessment we'll, to all of our citizens. <laughs> okay, we digress though. We're, we're looking for three teams that have had the American League and National League home run leaders from the previous season on their team. At mm-hmm. the same time, mm. I, this yeah, is this is this is way way I too mean, tough. It's it, it's vast. I I kind of, but I you know I figured I'm thinking it's modern or somewhat recent because who would trade a home run went leader from the year before unless you had to right? Yeah. Now I'm sure back in the 1890s or something, you know Grover Cleveland might have made a trade for that for like a it, box of cigars because you know yeah. players. There's no You're paid like five thousand dollars a year, but um, Grover yeah. Cleveland was president, by the way. Um, he was yeah. not a general manager. Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, I up. think he, he was a fan, but back then they were, they were probably mingling presidents and owners at the same time. So, you know, like uh-huh. I, I played for the Rangers, so I, I know a little bit about presidents. <laughs> it did happen. Yep. We're we're getting way off track. Oh well, yeah, where all right? Where am I going? Uh, okay, all right, so, but we've yes. we've established way too tough. So let's you know we don't have. Uh, been here to negotiate with we do have the mayor of starkville tim mm-hmm. mcmaster maybe we can negotiate with him tim this is so hard we think we should only have to get one of the three what do you think one out of three is, <laughs> that's two, that's two. <laughs> the, the reason i'll say that is because i think that and this maybe gives you a hint i don't know if it does or not but i think you will definitely get one of them so i think mm. that you need to get two of them Mm. to get crap especially because you guys are riding a hot streak right now i can't make yeah. it easy five in a row. <laughs> you can. you're the mayor you're authorized to make it as easy as you need to make it so two out of the three do you want uh oh, I, you'll go wait you'll go two out of three two out of three two out of three yeah okay yeah i'll, I'll work for that. that okay yeah now do you the question is do you want to give me three answers and you need two of them right like you did that was that little like tricky thing you guys <laughs> snuck away with last time where you gave all the answers, and technically one of them was wrong, but you still got credit. I, <laughs> well, whoever I yeah. can't remember uh, whose question it was last week, but he allowed that. He did. Yeah, uh, we did so talk you to could, the, yeah. you would have the option of allowing that. Jeffrey yep, Gao. That is up to you. Jeffrey Gao was Jeffrey, responsible yeah. for that loophole. Um, yeah, so he gave it to us. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? That seems like an excellent loophole. Considering how hard this question is, and you're right, it's so hard. I, I think give give three answers, and if you get two three of answers. them, if you get two of them, All right, I like this. You get. I think that's fair. Uh, okay. That's fair. I, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of names. Uh, I have no confidence we can fit the pieces of the puzzle together, but um, let's see what we can do. Um, here's the one I think might actually be right: Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder when Prince joined the Tigers. You know, that feels right. It wasn't so long ago. Um, you know, Miggy was winning triple crowns and home run titles every year, right? Uh, Prince was winning that National League home run title. That feels right. But then, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I'm in big trouble. I I thought about, like, Big Poppy and Adrian Gonzalez in Boston. Ooh. But that can that be wow. right? 
I, did Adrian Gonzalez? He might have led the league at home just once, know. but I don't know. Yeah, and the, why would the Dodgers have horse. traded him then? Uh, mm. Here's a, like here's one I thought about: Greg Vaughn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we hit 50, and then he signed with the Rays as a free agent, I think Jose Canseco was there, but I, I don't think that's right. Um, the year before, yeah, because both they both have to be from the year before, is, yeah, right? Right. Yeah, not so just, I don't know. Just Canseco has a Rays left the league. No, that doesn't help us. Uh, I've I've thought about all the guys who led the league in homers, who changed leagues. You know, Mark McGuire obviously did that. Fred McGriff did that. Mm-hmm. If you go back a little farther, Dick Allen, Ooh. Ken Griffey, uh, maybe Ooh. Griffey and Adam Dunn. I don't oh, know. Oh wow, that's um, madness. Uh, you, you guys I, you know, need I, you need another hint. Trust me. We really uh, do. <laughs> oh wow, this is rough. I mean, I have I've just have a long list of well, names. Here you go. Let's get this, the. Let's this get may the help. Hint. This may help. Five of the six players. That are the five three the answers. Five of the six players are in the yeah. Hall of Fame. Really? Five of the six are in the Hall. Wow. Oh my wait, wait, God. Five of the six. Okay, right. right so so the Prince two, and Miggy, two. they're not in the Hall. So they're not, they can't, so they're not even right. Mm. Holy crap. So yeah, right. yeah, so. I. Oh, uh, what, what's ooh, the, what, is this goes back to the beginning so of time? No pool holes. Well, hold on a second. Does this go back to the beginning of baseball time uh, since the American League and National League coexisted, or more? could it be more recent than that? What? Technically, it goes back to the beginning of time, but I will say that the answers are all from the end of World War II until now. The end of World 40, War II. 45-ish. Okay, I, 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 I have an idea now. Mm. Um, Ralph Kiner and Hank Greenberg didn't... Mm. Hank Greenberg go from Detroit to Pittsburgh while Ralph Kiner was there? They're both in the Hall of Fame. I, I kind of like that guess. I, none of my other guesses are even remotely wow. correct. Let me think about this. Yeah, the I didn't Hall even... Of, the Hall of Fame, that, that kind of threw me off here. I, yeah. I don't think I have any Hall of Fame with that. Okay, Maze. Um, well, McGriff. McGriff. Crime McGriff. Dog might be oh, one McGriff in there. McGriff is a Hall of Famer now. Who yeah. Would he have, who would he have played? Um, he played for what? He played for a lot of teams. He played Dodgers. He okay, he led the league in homers with the Padres, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Padres teams of the 90s. Who, who else could have been on those teams? Yeah, uh, Keminiti, Sheffield. Um, well, uh, but they're not so a Hall they, of Famer. But were, he it doesn't have to be. No, one of them doesn't have to be. One of them has to be. But then if we go possible. back further, uh, okay, Henry Aaron played for a long time. Um, Hall of Fame. That just like blows my mind. Reggie Jackson is he Mike? in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Probably, Hell yeah, he is. Okay. Of course he is. Yeah, I'm just throwing it. Reggie. He was oh, traded God. a million times. I think. What, was, Re- what I, was Reggie doing? Oakland. <laughs> um, he led. He, was, he led the league in homers mostly when he is. He was in Oakland. So who the heck would have passed go? through Oakland? To the Yankees. Did he, did he go he, from Oklahoma? He then to went to the Yankees. And the Yankees, I suppose, could have had anybody. But 70 from something the Yankees. 70s, <clears throat> 70s home run champs. <laughs> Yankees? You got those on the top of your head, Doug? All the 70s home run champs? Mike Schmidt, he won every year for a while there. Yeah, um, but American League. Oh, wait. So he said AL and NL. So it had to be a national a National League player playing for the Yankees that next year. Yeah. Hey, Tim, did right. I ever cover any of these guys? 
Oh my goodness. Yes. I did. Cover? Okay, so. I just I officially went too far with that clip. Really no, nothing did. else. You get no more hints. <laughs> okay, so. What do you mean uh, cover? So like, Mike, Mike Schmidt, Jim Tully. That sounds like. Yeah, I have Tony one of the, on my list. One of those pairs. Tommy was it? Well, Tommy was with Cleveland, and, and I played. Went, with and him. then went to. That'll be a slap in my face if I get that wrong. And so, went to Philly. You were there, but there's. There was. We didn't have any home runs, did we? Yeah. Bobby Abreu, Scott Rowland, yeah. none of those guys. But in Cleveland, was gone. somebody could have come over there. Um, wait, John oh, wait, Hart so, loved the. He loved John Hart. Loved those big mashers. Wait, so you're saying what? Tommy to Cleveland? But he was with Cleveland. So then someone who from the <laughs> National League went over to play with Tommy. So <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. All right, Albert Bell. Okay. Uh, uh, well, no, let's think guys. about... Wait, we, let's think about Mike Schmidt's teammates. All right? Like Jack. Like, so, so someone who came to the Phillies? Yeah, because Dick... All right. Could Dick Allen and Mike Schmidt have played together when they were both home run champs? Is that impossible? White Sox? Yeah. I mean, Dick Maybe. Allen. Maybe. Possibly. Sounds Unlikely. Well, Maybe. Um, <laughs> who could um, it have been? Greg Kaczynski, did, did, did he ever win a home run title? The Bull? Uh, um, yeah, good question. Not when I was around. Philly. Schmidt. I mean, who the Philly home run title? Kyle Schwarber? It's a little too. Yeah, but that's, he, he's not a Hall of Famer. That's just in. Um, right. It's pre 18. Jim Tomey is a good one. And, and I, Mike Schmidt, Jim Tomey. What, like Hall of Fame sluggers that I covered in Philadelphia, though, that pretty much covers Who it. are they? Dick Allen, Mike Schmidt. Let's go Let's go Schmidt and Dick Allen. And, with, and then you can come up with right. somebody and then we'll just guess. So, so what are we thinking? Like, it, like in <laughs> 1970, like when I, did they play together? I, I like Ralph Kiner and Hank Greenberg as one guess. And I okay. like Schmidt and Dick Allen as a second guess. You come up with a third hey, guess. Go and and come on! All right, I dare you. All right, so all right, so Dick Allen, Henry Aaron, and who? Willie Mays and who? Eddie Willie Matthews, McCovey and who? Eddie oh, Matthews. Hold on a second. No. All right, I'm thinking Jim. I'm just got to focus on one person, Jim Tomey, and that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Jim Jim Tomey and Chris Carter. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna pick the Hall of Famer with a non-Hall of Famer. That's that's, that's a my guess. guess. That's a terrible guess, but all right. That, um, <laughs> Wait, Cecil, Cecil Fielder's not an. He's got to be an answer. Not in the Hall of Fame. I know with somebody not Hall of Fame-ish. Jim Tomey and Cecil Fielder. We, he did go to the Yankees at one point, but he wasn't Ooh. the defending home run champ at that point. Yeah, because he hit his fiftieth off the Yankees. Look, we're, we're just we're, ju- we're just gonna guess, okay? We're gonna guess. All right. Okay. Well, who who did Cecil Fielder play with? Anybody? You put everybody. It's got to be Cecil. Tony Batista and and. All right, that's your guess. Okay, that's your final answer, right? Ralph. Okay, Mr. Mayor. Ralph Kiner and Hank Greenberg, Mike Schmidt and Dick Allen, Cecil Fielder, and Tony Batista. You got two out of three. I can't believe. It. No way. Even with all the. No way. And everything. I didn't think you had a chance. Uh, but yeah, Doug, you're right. That's not it. Uh, but... <laughs> But Hank Greenberg and Ralph Kiner, 1947. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness. 
Greenberg was purchased by the Pirates in the offseason. That's the one offseason edition. Oh, my edition. gosh. That is madness. Okay, the other one you got right. 1975 Phillies, Mike Schmidt and Dick Allen. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. The Phillies traded for Allen on May 7th of 1975. He had led the league in homers. The AL with the White Sox. The oh, my year. gosh. Oh, yeah, the White Sox. All right. And oh the one gosh. that you did not get, two years after Greenberg and Kiner, the Yankees, 1949, Joe DiMaggio and Johnny Mize. Uh, the Yankees purchased Mize from the Giants across town in August. How about that for a wow. deadline move within? Wow, wow. Within I thought about Johnny Mize at one point, but wow, wow. But no you know, chance. when you said World War II, it triggered Ralph Kiner and Hank Greenberg because I used to write a lot about Ralph Kiner back in the day, and uh, Hank Greenberg was in my uh, all underrated, overrated book. So that one just came to me. But wow. we, we, that was uh, impressive. let me just say, of all the impressive. questions we've ever gotten right, this is the most miraculous. <laughs> it was By a the total, way, Green, Hail Harry. Hail Greenberg, Mary. obviously, whole career Detroit. He played that one singular season in Pittsburgh and then retired. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Well, remember, so, well, there was one that was also pretty amazing by total accident. Remember we guessed Frankie Frisch? That was because like he came up the week before or something. Right? That was a complete wild guess. I didn't even know what era he played in. It was, uh, <laughs> all, all I know is we've gotten six in a row. Six and oh. I bet that. Six and oh. The Rays. The Rays. And, Rays, and what's our just, run differential? We're coming for you, the Rays. Oh. We, well, we, 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 you know, we did have to uh, pull a lot of a uh, flim flam. To be able to get this one right, we only had to guess two, and then you you guessed about seventy five different names. <laughs> it came None up of with those mattered Batista. though. You already had two. Yeah, we had. No, I, yeah. I had two. Yeah. Correct. Why do we even let Glanville participate in this thing? I honestly thought you would know Schmidt, Schmidt and Allen. I thought you would get that one in no time. Oh I, I just gosh. wasn't. I, I mean, I knew they played together. Obviously, right. but just the question was timing. Oh but my gosh, amazing! At, at any rate, like whatever, whatever the heck we just did. We have, you thought that was good? Just wait, because we're about to bring in the mayor to play another of his fabulous play-by-play clips involving this week's answer. So, Tim, I can't wait to hear what you've got for us this week. <laughs> well, I wanted to find a situation where one of these guys had a big moment that we get sound for after the trade, right, for the new team, yeah. which was tricky, because, as I just said, Greenberg spent the one year in Pittsburgh and... <laughs> And Allen went back to Philly late in his career. Uh, but Johnny Mize played in a lot of World Series after he was traded to the Yankees, including 1952, where he put the Yankees ahead in Game 7 against the Dodgers. Hey, they should have left field. Good old four. And Mize drives him in, hitting an outside pitch into left field. He hit the ball right where it was pitched. Reached across the plate. I think he reached out of the strike zone to hit it. And it's a line single, and the Yankees lead one to nothing. So, big John Mize. He actually had three home runs in that World Series also, but couldn't find the audio for those. But maybe the best thing about that clip, <laughs> guess not. the broadcast team, Red Barber Red. and Mel Allen. I was going to say Red Barber, wasn't That Red was Red Allen. Barber? Yeah. This is yeah. Red Barber's first baseball. appearance on Starkville? Could be. Might be. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, Stark Villagers. Hey, is that the right word? Wow. What do you think, Doug? Stark yeah, or, Villagers? Or billions. I, I like Villains. Like, Stark Villains. Stark Villains, yeah. All right, okay, Stark Villains. 
Um, if you enjoyed that segment, and I don't know why you would have, you should remember that you too can be part of these trivia segments, just like Ben. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Strange but true. You know, Doug... There are certain moments in every baseball season that are just made for this show and especially made for this segment. I think you witnessed one of those moments Saturday night in Atlanta. Uh, we teased it up at the top of the show, but it was so bizarre. Uh, you really need to hear this with your own ears. Uh, then we'll let Doug explain what it was like to try to describe a play this mixed up on the radio. Ground ball to first base. Olsen's coming home with it, and that'll get away. Run will score. Comes another run. Two runs will get in. Oh, I'm wondering if Odor touched home plate before Kim scored. See, Odor goes back and touches it after he scores. So, can't do that. Snicker out there talking to home plate umpire Chad Fairchild. And, and they're saying he is out now. Okay, so that was Don Orsillo on the call, but... He did a great job with it. I'm thinking that if you're listening, you might still be confused even after hearing that. So I'm going to recap it one more time. So the Padres had runners on second and third. Odor on third. Kim on second. Ground ball goes to Matt Olson at first base. He throws home. This is where it gets wild. Odor slams into Travis Darno. So Odor misses home plate. But then here comes Kim, who touches home plate. Now here comes Odor back to touch the plate a second time, or maybe it was the first time. We don't even know. But has there ever been a play where the runner on second scored before before the runner on third? Doug, make sense of this, will you please? Oh, my. I mean, well, that whole inning was crazy, too, because there was a Darno. Uh, Cronenworth was on first yeah. earlier, and he let off the inning. And and Darno threw like a it, it was really cold, so he threw like a changeup. And Arcia, like I don't know, he, he looked like he just gave he just said I don't want to touch the ball. It was like hot potato or so. So it was like weird. Like how did that even happen? Like so he's on second, and he eventually comes around to score. And so we were like, this, it's already a weird inning. And when Odor came around, so the throw from Olsen was on the first base side. Right. 
So Darno tried to catch it with his backhand and in one motion catch it and kind of sweep tag around and, you know, didn't get the ball. And he ended up looking for the ball and kind of forgetting that the runner was coming. So his he was his whole face was exposed and, you know, end up getting hit, you know, as a concussion at this point. But when Odor came in, I there was I didn't realize or none of us really realized he missed the plate. It was like, okay, he scored, you know, whatever. The ball rolled around and then Kim came around. So we were like, okay, two runs score. And then when we even watching the replay, all of a sudden Odor, it's almost like he would hit got a drink of water, then came back up the stairs, and then goes and touches the plate. So it's like so I was like, oh maybe he's high fiving Kim or whatever. So it didn't even register that he missed the plate. So so it was already confusing. And then all of a sudden, we see the, I don't know who, who was pitching at the time. It was, uh, it was Charlie it Morton, was Morton. Right? Charlie, yeah, Morton gets on the mound. And Machado's in the batter's box. So I'm thinking this is the next pitch. Because I'm not even, there, there, nobody, there's no announcements. There's no, like, here's what's going on. So he throws a pitch to Machado. And it's like 36 miles an hour at Machado's head. <laughs> yes. So he jumps out of the way. So I'm like, what is that? And then it wasn't until then that people started to unravel what actually happened. Because it wasn't and, a pitch, um, it was the appeal. It was the appeal. <laughs> yeah. So so we're like, okay, so let me figure this out. So now we're understanding that they were appealing the play. So we weren't sure, well, where does instant replay come into play? So we're like, okay, you appeal. So then I started thinking, can Machado swing and hit the appeal. No. Like, what would what would they do? If Especially he didn't know it was the appeal. So I was like, that would be kind of wild. So the other thing is, what if the appeal hit him in the head? Then we got like, is that a hit by pitch? So I was like, I have no idea what's going on. So so he jumps out of the way because he, he reacted as if it was a pitch. He didn't, he like was stunned or something. So I was like, okay, that's weird. So then you're like, okay, if the appeal gets away... So when I finally, the next day, I talked to the Braves manager, Brian Snicker, first. And I said, first thing I asked was like, okay, can you make sense of this? (laughs) And he was like, well, you know, because I was like, okay, did you know right away that he missed the plate? But it was like, it it eventually came through replay that they sort of assumed. But I was trying to figure out if Odor made a mistake by going back and if he should have just played it off, like, you know, start whistling like, oh, I'm, you know, but I think when he went back, that certainly was an alarm. <clears throat> but the, the runner, uh, the, the video guy certainly caught it. So I was like, okay, they, they seem to be on top of that. Then I asked Bob Melvin and Melvin said, one of the coaches knew from a ball that you could steal, you could run on the appeal. So he said, we should have tried to take another base and i was like well who was on i was trying to figure this out right so wow i mean it was totally crazy so apparently so in summary apparently on an appeal you could steal right um so that was one thing that was interesting Never knew that. You, you apparently right so and and to tell you how confusing it was the scoreboard operator and everybody on the pitch count we had three different pitch counts we had we had like morton there was one like one uh, it was like two higher and then there was one one lower because nobody knew about the the actual um appeal play so i don't know i still i told i texted you like i don't know what's going on and i'm calling this game but i i can't i don't know what's going on we're going to have to unpack this for days okay so let's try to unpack it because just this whole idea of, is it possible 
for the runner on second to score before the runner on third is what you first texted me about. And it's blown my mind. I've read this explanation by the plate ump, Chad Fairchild, four times. <laughs> and he said that, okay, it's assumed, I don't know who assumes it, that Odor <laughs> touched the plate. So he's safe the first time. He's only out because the Braves appeal that he missed home. But here, okay, this is what I've been trying to figure out. Suppose they had not appealed and he really did go back and touch the plate after the second runner, the guy on second, had touched the plate. <laughs> Would he have still been safe? Yeah, right. Yes. Well, well, okay. The other what? thing Snicker so, said. Right. He really said, could score. Score the twice. The runner on third really could score after the runner on second. No, that can't be right. No. Right. Well, it's something to do with what's determined, like you said, the assumption. You're, it's like assuming the double play or something. Or you assume he touched the plate, which is now the Braves didn't do that because they were on replay. And then he, that's why I asked Melvin, should, should Odor just not gone back, right? Because if he didn't go back, then, then the assumption sticks a little better because you're like, you're giving it away that you're going back to touch home. So I thought Odor should have just not messed with it. And I don't know, it seems like that might have changed the assumption. Now, what, what Brian Snicker also said is if we didn't win, if we didn't get the result we wanted from the appeal, we would have gone to instant replay. So that's a whole nother layer of like what's reviewable, right? So so he said, okay, well, if the appeal didn't work for some reason, we would have gone to instant replay. And I, and I don't even know the rules on all that, right? But that, I mean, that's how crazy this thing was. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I still am not sure. Like, he scored. Well, I'm trying to think of the play. Wasn't it with the Yankees a long time ago where two guys got tagged out at home, like Bobby Meacham and, right? Yeah, it was a Yankee-White Sox game. And then I, I was thinking the, the, the Buck Martinez play where he, he tagged two runners out of the plate with a broken leg or whatever it was. <laughs> Right, but right. think, Doug. Think about this. If they had both been safe, wouldn't this have been? I mean, the strangest but truest play at the plate ever. It'd be right up with those plays. I mean, yeah. I mean, and yeah. Which time Odor touched the plate? I mean, I guess he can't touch it after Kim scores. It's like passing the runner. I guess he can't go back. But once again, you're yeah. getting the benefit of the doubt that the call on the field. Like, I don't know. I guess the umpire, maybe he made a no call. I'm not sure. I have to look at that. But if the call on the field is, like, safe until proven otherwise, then, you know, first of all, Dor didn't have to go back. But when he did go back, he was theoretically touching it for the second time until the Braves appealed. And, and like I said, appeals at home are kind of weird, right? Because you're pitching. He's literally on the mound pitching. So the hitter's like, I, I you know, I can swing the bat. Like, I, I just thought that was strange. <laughs> And, and the fact that you could steal because he's pitching, you know, I guess, I, I don't know. And then here's the other question. All right, I'm going to throw all kind of wrenches in this because I thought about this. Yeah. Runner on first and you appeal. Like, or, and let's say there's a play where you're, or run on second, whichever base. But you've already had two disengagements. You've already had two disengagements. <laughs> now, if he steps <laughs> off and throws over. Oh, no. Is that a balk? I mean, I, I so it's like because it's like it's a disengagement a third time for an appeal, and as as Bob Melvin said, you can steal a base on an appeal. So I don't know. I'm just having a little fun with this, but like that's where my mind goes. Like, 
So I, I actually don't know the answer to this. We're going to have to get an umpire on next week because this is crazy. <laughs> you know, when we began this segment, I thought we were going to shed a little light on this play. I'm more confused now than I was when we started. <laughs> and I, we just, I, I wasn't even going to spend the whole segment on this because we had so many strange but trues this week. I, I mean, we, we really don't have time to get into the Rocket City trash pandas <laughs> and their no-hitter where they gave up seven runs. But there's always next week for that because... Oh, we got that, that one will last for eternity. Yeah. We'll bring that back next the, week. The Starkville Strange oh. but True office is always open. Right? <laughs> it's always open. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And you know what? If you'd like to read any of the sensational baseball coverage in The Athletic, we can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe. I don't want to throw a wrench into two dollars a month a for the next 12 ooh. months. So there's the that screws That's up right. that math. That's amazing. That's like how many cents a day is that? That's like yeah, seven <laughs> cents a day. It's <laughs> amazing. It, it's twenty it, it twenty four dollars divided by what? Three sixty five. You do that math, Doug. Oh yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'll keep it simple. Two dollars a month. Divided by 30. That's easier. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, forget, See, now we've even confused people in this segment. Let's move on. Also, remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then we invite that lucky listener to join us right here and prove once again that... <laughs> Wait a second, I can't even do this anymore. We get every question right. <laughs> so if you're not going to Wrigley Field or something, you can join us and ask us a trivia question. And here's how that would work. There is email. You could email us at starkville@theathletic.com. And since Twitter continues to still operate, you can also hit us up with questions on the Twitter where Doug Glanville can be found at... At Doug Glanville. Find me at myself. I'm on my own territory, apparently. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Yep, that'll work. And you can find me at Jason St. That's at Jason with a Y. St. Please remember, hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Terry Francona for visiting us. Thanks to Ben Beatty for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.